0: welcome to edition number 1985 of the Whitney Talking News, which we're recording in the High Street Methodist Church in Whitney on Thursday the 2nd of November. My name's Byron Russell and I edited this edition. Our readers today are Gene Thompson, Valerie Palmer, Nigel James and Peter B. Our technical whiz tonight is Eric Imerson, whose skills will make this recording and its online edition possible. This week we have news items, as usual, from the Whitney Gazette and Oxford Times. In the second part of this edition, we'll hear about this year's Poppy Day and a pending spat down at, where else, Clarkson's Farm. But first things first. Have you been having delays with your post recently? We certainly have, and we're not the only ones. Let's hear more about West Oxfordshire postal problems from Jean.
1: Uh, this piece is entitled Homes Report Two-Week Wait for Postal Deliveries. Households say they get mail as infrequently as once a fortnight and are then hit with a sudden deluge of late cards and missing post. Hospital appointment letters, birthday cards, parcels and important bills have all gone missing in delays caused by a staffing crisis in Whitney. Whitney Central Councillor Andrew Coles highlighted the issue on his Facebook page. Sally Bond replied, My daughter sent me an important document from Edinburgh a few weeks ago. It took a week to get here. One Whitney Spotted user said, It has been over two weeks since we had post from Royal Mail. Due to my working hours and their working hours, I've been unable to go to the sorting office to discuss. Another replied, My husband has been waiting for some tickets for yesterday's football match. They have not yet arrived, so he missed the match. A third said, I've been getting posts every other Monday, parcels included. Mr Coles said he had been contacted by a number of residents highlighting the poor standard of service. He said, "Whitney residents can go for days at a time with no post, And then suddenly receive a lot of items on one day. On Monday, having not had any post for the last days of the previous week, I suddenly received ten items of post. It really isn't good enough, particularly if you're expecting an important letter like a hospital appointment. However, the cost of stamps continues to rise, he said. A standard letter-size first-class stamp went up again recently by 15 pence to £1.25, the second increase this year and the third rise in 18 months. Postal workers at Royal Mail, which began to be privatised in 2013, started industrial action in May 2022 and a dispute over pay and a dramatic reduction in living standards because of soaring inflation. The strikes ended in July 2023 after workers agreed to a three-year pay deal. Mr Coles said, I met a number of Whitney Post men and women at the Whitney Delivery Office last year and I know that no fault lies with them. I do, however, understand that there are currently quite a few vacancies at Royal Mail's Whitney delivery office and staff retention seems to be a bit of a problem. Royal Mail said it had plans in place to bring back a good service in Whitney. A spokesman said, We are committed to restoring our quality of service to our customers. We have plans in place and dedicated teams responsible for improving deliveries in Whitney and at our delivery offices nationwide. Over the last six weeks, we have recruited around 3,000 postmen and women and are continuing to recruit around 500 permanent positions a week in delivery. Royal Mail said customers did not have to worry that Christmas cards and parcels would go astray or arrive hopelessly late. In the lead-up to Christmas, we are taking on 16,000 temporary workers, more vehicles and additional parcel sorting sites to handle double the normal volume of parcels we expect over the period, said the spokesperson. These activities, plus others, are already making a difference in some areas and we are confident that they will continue to improve quality of service for our customers.
0: Thanks very much, Jean. So, with all those extra staff, let's hope that our Christmas cards arrive in time for Easter. Now, Nigel has news about West Oxfordshire's school attendance records, and uh, the teacher's report card might say could do better. Indeed. This uh,
2: this article is headed, Pupils Miss 200,000 School Sessions. Almost 200,000 sessions were missed without permission by pupils in Oxfordshire. During the spring term, uh, as figures show, after the coronavirus pandemic wreaked havoc on children's education, the number of pupils missing school without permission has risen significantly since before COVID-19. The Association for School and College Leaders said attendance is one of the biggest challenges schools must face, with several complex factors contributing to the problem. The Department for Education figures show 172,000 of 9.1 million school sessions were missed without permission by pupils in Oxfordshire in the 2022-23 spring term. It meant that children in the area had an authorised absence rate of 1.9%. The school day is split into morning and afternoon sessions, with every child expected to attend all sessions – In the 2018-19 spring term, the unauthorised absence rate was 73% during the coronavirus pandemic. Nationally, 2.3% of pupils missed school without permission in the spring, almost double those who were absent from lessons in 2018-19. Every area in the country has seen the rate of unauthorised absences rise by more than 30% since 2018-19. Julie McCulloch, Director of Policy at the Association, said there are several complex factors causing rising absence rates. They include mental health issues exacerbated by the pandemic, a lack of support for children with special educational needs, with schools lacking resources to deal with them, and the cost of living crisis, with 30% of children growing up in poverty. Ms McCulloch added, It will take concerted government action to address these issues, all of which are linked to high levels of pupil absence, and ensure that pupils are getting the the support they need at the right time. The overall absence rate has also risen across the country, from 4.8% in the year 2018-19 spring term to 7% last year. In Oxfordshire, 652,000 school sessions were missed since the, in the last spring term. A Department for Education spokesman said, the vast majority of children are in school and learning, and we're taking action to increase attendance because it is vital for a children's education, well-being and future life chances. We have expanded our attendance hubs, which will support over 400,000 pupils across 14 hubs, and provide a toolkit for schools about communicating with parents on this issue. Our mentoring programme, delivered by Bernardo's, sees trained mentors work directly with 1,665 persistently and severely absent children and their families, to understand and overcome the barriers to attendance and support them back to school.
0: Thanks very much, Nigel. Um, it's surprising how, although it's not the only reason, of course, the, the pandemic has had um, surprising repercussions in all sorts of areas and continues to do so. Now, moving on, do you remember the explosion at Cassington on October the 2nd? There are plans for a big new gas plant at Coggs, and these are giving some cause for concern. Valerie will tell us all about it.
3: Yes, the headline is Fears Over New Gas Plant Bid After Cassington Blast. Campaigners fear plans for a new gas plant would bring a risk of explosion similar to the one that rocked Oxygen earlier this month. Acorn Bioenergy's bid to build one of the UK's largest anaerobic digester gas factories in high cogs Near Whitney, will be decided by the planning authority next week. But a campaign group claims the proposed gas plant would carry the same risks that led to an explosion at 7 Trent Green Power's power plant in Cassington on the 2nd of October. David Hindley of the Whitney Anaerobic Digester Objection Group said, We are amazed and concerned that regardless of the explosion caused by lightning on October 2nd at a similar local gas facility at Cassington, ACORN Bioenergy has continued with its application. While ACO Bioenergy claims that it strives to meet the highest health and safety standards, it has continued with its application, explaining that it would prepare for lightning protection eventually. We believe that this is not the responsible conduct that we would expect. Acon Bioenergy was c- contacted for comment but did not respond. The company's proposed gas plant would be one and a half times the area of the Wembley Stadium roof and the fermenter tanks would be the height of four double-decker bosses on top of each other, the Cambu- campaign group has claimed. West Oxfordshire District Council would decide on the plans this Monday. Council officers have recommended that councillors refuse the plans. In a report published on Friday, the officers said the proposed plant would not be of a proportionate and appropriate scale and pattern of development and or character of the area. The report also warned of the increased traffic using the A40 with some 25,000 HGVs, tractor-trailers, anticipated to come and go from the gas facility each year. Mr Hindley, who lives within 250 metres of the proposed site, said, This proposal attempts to ride roughshod over our neighbourhood plan and national and county policies. It is now for the Lowlands Area Planning Subcommittee to decide its future. The enormous level of local concern by residents over the last nine months has shown what can be achieved by a small community that is united against a landowner and developer. Any other attempt to repeat this exercise would be met with robust responses. Acorn Bioenergy said it is committed to providing renewable, carbon negative energy for the uk by unlocking the full potential of biomethane production the company added that it prioritizes sites with good access to farms that can provide high quality agricultural waste good access to the strategic road network and ones that will have a minimal visual impact on neighbors
0: well thanks very much valerie Um, Cause for concern indeed, perhaps. Anyway, finally, on this first round, some positive news, if you love the occasional meal out. Over to you, Peter.
4: Yes, you'll be pleased to hear that West Oxfordshire gastropubs are among the UK's best bolt holes. Four West Oxfordshire pubs have been named among the best country pubs with rooms in the UK. Global travel publisher Cond Nash Traveller has put together a list of their favourite rural pubs, which you can spend the night in, in the UK and in Ireland. According to the publisher, the UK has seen a resurgence of country pubs with rooms in the past few years, with a focus on snug bedrooms, quirky designs and all the comforts that come with a hotel stay. On the list, which had 33 entries, was the Bell in Charlbury, the Double Red Duke in Clanfield, the Lamb Inn in Shipton under Witchwood, and the Kingham Plough. The Bell at Charlbury recently reopened in early September, after a complete restoration was undertaken by the, in, at the 17th Century Inn. The pub serves a selection of hearty pub classics with ingredients from local suppliers and growers as well as from the farm at Dalesford Organic. Twelve bedrooms sit above the pub and the barn, including a two-bedroom family suite. There is no doubt this new opening will have walls brimming with chirpy locals and Dalesford fans from the get-go. Its entry reads... It added there are big plans to use the pub's garden for cinema nights, pizza ovens and wellness activities. The Double Red Duke in Clanfield is a 17th century coaching inn which was given a stylish makeover to turn it into a luxury country hotel in 2020. Its description read, It's easy to spot this wisteria-clad 17th-century coaching inn with its candy-striped umbrellas forming a jaunty Soho House-style beacon. In many ways, the revamped Oxfordshire pub, part of the Country Creatures Group, draws parallels with the Global Members Club. The Lamb, which opened in June 2021, is described as the quintessential modern pub, a space for Cotswold locals, visitors and gastronomic hipsters, the article said. It added that the pub was a local hub and was also something of a natural history museum serving hearty food. Co-own- co-owners Tim, uh, Tom Newist, and Peter Creed, who are both Cotswold born and bred, also operate the Bell at Langford and the Little Bell within Soho Farmhouse. The business partners opened the Bell in December 2017, and in 2019 it was listed in the Times 100 Best Places to Stay. It's been raved about by food critics Giles Corran, Ma, 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 Marina O'Loughlin, and Tom Parker Bowles. The Kingham Plough was opened in 2007 by famous chef Emily Watkins, who still works there. It was then taken over by Matt and Kate Beamish in 2019, with the pair having previously worked with chefs including Raymond Blanc, Jamie Oliver and Miss Watkins previously worked in Florence at the Fat Duck owned by the chef Heston Blumenthal. She was one of the winners of 2014 season of The Great British Menu. The plough is what every pub should be. Dependable, delightful, and above all, an extremely good deal, its entry says.
1: We move on now with a piece entitled Bar Celebrates Art of Distilling and Brewing. A new pop-up bar, shop and art gallery has set out to showcase the Oxfordshire craft drinks and artists. The Fainting Goat, has opened in premises formerly occupied by Mrs Bumble's Deli in Burford High Street. It is run by Catherine Tobin and Mark Accred and their colleague, Lisa Cleave of the Cotswolds Drinks Company, whose signature drink is toffee and vodka. Mr Accred said, We set up the company just before lockdown, but then didn't do much for obvious reasons. Then we launched our toffee vodka We didn't want to do yet another flavoured gin. We wanted something a bit more fun than that. We set up Fainting Goat as a sub-brand to push our brand as well as other local brands as much as possible. We thought the art gallery would be like a cool mix and we would change the works often. We didn't want to be another Cotswold pub. We wanted it to be cool and a bit of fun. And we've had really, really positive feedback. We're very much hoping to stay. And there is um, a photograph here of uh, the fainting goat um, in the high street. It's very difficult to see inside because so many reflections on the window. But there is also a small insert which shows lots and lots of bottles of presumably
2: vodka as well as other drinks. The next article is headed... Decision due on divisive plans for 540 homes. Major plans for 540 new homes bordering West Oxfordshire will be decided this week. Merton College wanted to build houses on an area of farmland the size of 82 football pitches to the west and north of Yarnton Village. It has also proposed to build a community work hub, two playing pitches and up to 9,000 square metres of elderly and extra care residential floor space. Charle District Council's planning committee will decide on the application at the meeting on Thursday. Council officers have recommended that the plans are refused until they can resolve outstanding issues. Villagers have raised concerns that the homes would destroy the character of Yarnton and impact on transport infrastructure into Oxford. Both Yarnson and Begbrook Parish councils have formally objected to the plans. Merton College, one of the constituent colleges of Oxford University, said, Our proposals align with Charwell's local plan, uh, and the allocation will deliver much-needed new homes as part of the county-wide strategy to accommodate Oxford's unmet housing need. The application site is allocated for development in the Charwell local plan. It's part of the land surrounding Kidlington, Yarnson and Begbrook, which the council controversially allocated for 4,400 new homes in 2020 to help meet Oxford's housing needs. Earlier this month, almost 500 new homes in Kidlington were approved by the council, despite fierce
3: opposition. This article is headed Storm Kieran to bring heavy rain. I think we've already experienced it. The influence of Storm Ciaran is set to be felt across Oxfordshire this week. The Met Office is expecting heavy rain on Wednesday morning and throughout Thursday. Parts of the UK are still recovering from Storm Babette earlier this this month. Met Office Deputy Chief Meteorologist Chris Armand added, This deep, low-pressure system will bring heavy rain in much of the UK. But the western areas with 20 to 25 millimetre quite widely across the region, but up to 40 to 60 millimetre potentially over higher ground. Heavy and persistent rain will fall onto already saturated ground, bringing a risk of further impacts such as flooding in areas that are already struggling to clean up from the heavy rainfall we have seen over the last week or so.
4: Well, now for some news about local politics. An MP wins Defence Committee vote, the headline reads. The Whitney MP Robert Quartz has been elected Chairman of the Commons Defence Committee. The Member of Parliament was appointed after a single round of voting, receiving 249 votes out of the total 430 valid votes cast. He replaces Tory MP Tobias Elwood, who quit the role following a backlash over the summer after claiming that security in Afghanistan had vastly improved and corruption is down following the Taliban's return. Mr. Courts beat Conservative rivals and former ministers Mark Francois and Sarah Atherton to take on the role after a ballot of fellow MPs. Deputy Commons Speaker Dame Rosie Winterton announced that Mr Courts was elected after a single round of voting. Miss Atherton received 142 votes and Mr Francois 39. Mr Courts shook hands and exchanged a peck on the cheek with Miss Atherton in in the Commons on hearing that he'd won the ballot. The result was announced to the day that Mr Courts first joined the committee. In a statement released after the result was announced, Mr. Court said that the armed forces need more support, more investment and more capacity, not less. The new Defence Committee chairman said, I'm thrilled to have the opportunity to serve the country and our armed forces at such a crucial time for our security. My thanks to all those colleagues who supported me and to Sarah Atherton and Marc Francois, deeply respected committee members, for a well-fought election. All around us, the world is becoming more challenging. As a consequence, our forces m- need more support, more investment and more capacity, not less. Under my leadership... The committee will continue to unpick the long-term issues that affect defence. We will seek to provide solutions for these, including tirelessly making the case for more investment in our armed forces. We will consider not just how to build robust supply chains and bolster our industrial base, but we will also ask how UK defence should exploit emerging technologies of the future. Our soldiers, sailors and airmen represent the best of our country. As a chair, I will continue to advocate for the training and equipment that they need to keep our country safe. Defence is in my political DNA. As not just a former Minister for Aviation, Maritime and Security, but also as an MP representing the largest base in the Royal Air Force. I have an in-depth understanding of the challenges facing our military. As chair, I won't shy away from robust scrutiny and will lead through collegiate teamwork and
5: consensus.
2: More about
1: politics now, um, with a more local item here. District Council member resigns from Conservatives... And then there's a a picture of a smiling councillor, Alar al-Yusuf. A Tory councillor has resigned from the Conservative Party. Dr Alar al-Yusuf said he would not yet go into the reasons but will continue to represent Freeland and Hanborough as an independent councillor. He posted on Facebook, I have resigned from the Conservative Party and group at West Oxfordshire District Council and will sit as an independent councillor for Freeland and Hanborough until May. This is effective immediately because of significant differences over several government policies. He said, I am not going to elaborate. It is not in anybody's interest right now for me to make a statement. My priority is to serve my ward in the best way possible. There are always reasons to work together and collaborate, and sometimes things do not work properly. Dr Al Yusuf, a retired former senior economist at the International Monetary Fund, IMF, in Washington, was elected to West Oxfordshire District Council in 2018. He chaired the Council's Finance and Management Overview and Scrutiny Committee until recently. He previously chaired the Environment and Climate Change Committee. It means there are now 16 Conservative councillors, 17 Liberal Democrats, 11 Labour, Labour and Co-operative, 3 Green councillors and 2 Independents on the West Oxfordshire District Council.
2: Families spent £44 million last year to care for relatives is the headline on the next article. People in Oxford have spent just under £44 million of their own money to care for friends and relatives last year, new figures show. Spending for adult social care has rocketed across England, but health think tank, the Nuffield Trust, warned patchy data means the amount paid privately is likely to be underestimated. Chancellor Jeremy Hunt announced a further £4 billion in funding for adult social care up to 24 25 in last year's autumn budget. But the local government association wrote to him ahead of this year's budget calling for substantial new investment to help tackle unmet and undermet needs. NHS digital figures show people in Oxfordshire paid £43 million pounds for adult social care services in 22-23, up from £41 million pounds the year before. In total, Oxfordshire County Council spends £340 million providing services last year. It can offset the amount it spends on providing care through various income and funding streams, such as investment from the NHS and contribution from patients. Last year, it received £87 million. Uh, It means the council's net spend on providing adult social care was £253 million, up from from £2 million in 2021-22. The LGA wrote to Mr Hunt last week, urging him to provide further funding for councils to deliver adult social care services. It said last year's investment will do little more than allow councils to stand still. Councillor David Fothergill, chairman of the LGA's Community Wellbeing Board, said councils have increased their spending on adult social care, but evidence shows that there is still an unacceptable amount of unmet and undermet need. Councils are facing increased demand for services and unprecedented inflationary and pay pressures and urgent action must be taken to address these issues. Further figures show 1% were extremely or very dissatisfied with the level of care they received last year, one of the highest proportions in the country. Meanwhile, 64% were extremely or very satisfied with their care. Natasha Curry, Deputy Director of Policy at the Nuffield Trust, said, Means testing thresholds haven't changed since 2010, so fewer people qualify for public funding, and those who pay for their own care are finding it to be more expensive due to inflation. Many self funders are forced to make the difficult decision to reduce the care visits and packages that they access because costs are too high. A Department of Health and Social Care spokesman said the government has made available up to £8 billion over this year and next year to strengthen adult social care, social care provision. The funding will enable local authorities to buy more care packages, help people leave hospital on time, improve workforce recruitment and retention and reduce waiting times for care. The new funding represents an increase in and d- data published last week shows that spending on adult social care has increased in real terms for eight consecutive years.
3: Now we have more short pieces about health care in our area. Dementia ambassador to raise awareness. A Wantage man has been made an ambassador for dementia oxygen after benefiting from the support the service provided after he received a dementia diagnosis. Glenn Fletcher was diagnosed with dementia in December 2020, which proved difficult for him and his wife, Christine, who automatically became his carer. Neither had any previous experience with dementia, nor being a carer. Both sought the support of Dementia Oxfordshire, which is connected to Age UK Oxfordshire and funded by Oxfordshire County Council. Glenn is now an ambassador for Dementia Oxfordshire, offering his time to help others who have been diagnosed. New research by the University of Warwick, supported by Dementia Oxfordshire, is now looking to learn from the experiences of people like Glenn by carrying out a study of the network of support available to people when they are diagnosed with dementia and how these might be improved. It aims to improve access to support, thus benefiting those living with dementia in Oxfordshire and more widely. Councillor Tim Bearder said, I hope this new research leads to more positive experiences to enable people to live happy, independent lives within their own communities for as long as possible. And the next article is Hospital COVID Cases Rise there has been an increase in the number of people treated for COVID-19 in Oxfordshire hospitals, the latest figures show. Oxford University Hospitals Trust was caring for more than 37 patients with coronavirus in hospital as of Sunday of last week. NHS England data shows the number of people being treated in hospital with COVID-19 on that day was up from 35 on the same day the previous week. Across England, there were 3,796 people in hospital with COVID on that date, an increase of 21% on the last four weeks.
4: And now three more health-related items. First of them says ambulance training aid. South Central Ambulance Service has received a donation which will help paramedics practice their vital life-saving techniques. The service was given a £400 donation from Annington, the company responsible for refurbishing XMOD homes. The donation will allow the clinical team Educator Paramedics, based at Oxford City Resource Centre, to purchase a simulating circothyrotony trainer, a piece of equipment aimed at helping paramedics. Learn important airway skills training. The centre is used by newly qualified paramedics from Oxford Brooks. And secondly, hospital surgical boost. Expansion plans to add seven new elective theatres to the John Radcliffe Hospital have been submitted in an aim to curtail the waiting lists following the COVID pandemic. Carter-Jones has submitted plans on behalf of Oxford University Hospitals NHS Foundation Trust. The plans involve erection of a new 7,541 square metre module theatre building with associated infrastructure, landscaping and parking. They say a new theatre building is urgently required to address the growing number of patients waiting for routine elective surgery and the significant waiting list. And finally, cutting-edge cancer treatment launched. A cancer patient has become the first person to receive new cutting-edge treatment in Oxford after NHS England expanded access to the potentially life-saving therapy. The CART therapy for patients with certain forms of blood cancer was given to Stephen Milton, aged 29, whose own immune cells were used to create a tailored treatment. It's described as highly complex and potentially risky, but has been shown to cure patients in some trials, even with quite advanced cancers where available alternatives have failed. Mr Milton, who is a horse-racing bookmaker from Aylesbury, received treatment for non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. He said, My body wasn't responding to even aggressive chemotherapy. And so they suggested C-A-R-T. So far I'm doing well, and I'll have more tests. I know it's a rare treatment, so I was glad to get it. All the medical staff have been brilliant. Blood cancer patients tend to have a poor prognosis and generally don't survive very long. The new service is expected to deliver potentially life-saving treatment to at least 20 to 30 patients each year. Four patients have now been cared for with this new therapy at Oxford University Hospitals.
0: And now it's time for this week's Reflection. And we're joined today by our very good friend David Sarbot. David, over to you. Thank you.
6: I have a great love of and for history, something that began when I was at school a few years ago. British history as well as world history are things I love to read about. I also find history associated with Christianity fascinating. Last week, my wife and I spent a few days visiting family who live close to Liverpool and we took the opportunity to visit the city to see what had changed over the last 20 years or so since our last visit. The waterfront is shrouded in both history and beauty. The pier ahead is home to the iconic Three Graces, the Royal Liver Building, the Cunard Building, and the Port of Liverpool Building. The Liver Building is where one liver bird watches over its home city and the other looks out to sea, waiting for family's safe return during wartime and trips on ships all around the world. Head is where visitors can catch the iconic ferry cross the Mersey, say hello to a larger-than-life sculpture of the Fab Four, or the Beatles, as we know them, and visit the light trail, which is currently being installed. The waterfront has changed significantly since my last visit, with the addition of a number of new buildings, and for me, as a consequence, it has lost some of its former glory. The Liverpool Museum opened in 2011, and the Mersey Ferry Terminal has been altered to create a better experience for travellers. All the changes have meant that the Three Graces are no longer the first building seen when ships or boats arrive in port, but they are still an awesome sight. Along the waterfront is the Royal Albert Dock, which is the largest collection of Grade 1 listed buildings in the country. A beautifully restored former working dock, the Royal Albert Dock is a must-visit and home to museums and galleries. One of the museums in Albert Dock is the Merseyside Maritime Museum, and this contains four floors. It contains also the Border Force National Museum, retelling the world of the custom officers from its early days. Another gallery to explore includes a Titanic exhibition. Liverpool was Titanic's home port. Another gallery shows all about and records the Battle of the Atlantic in World War II. And there is also an exhibition to the International Slavery Museum. All of those galleries I found very illuminating. As I said earlier, a light trail is being currently installed. And it set me thinking of Liverpool being a gateway for those people who emigrated from our country to the New World, America and Canada, in search of a better life. In return, America especially has exported some interesting inventions and experiences. One of those experiences has just been celebrated by many folk in this country. Halloween, it is, and Halloween's history is interesting, to say the least. Halloween has become so much a pagan festival, but it has its origins in Christianity. To go right back, our ancestors celebrated New Year's Day on November the 1st, and so New Year's Eve was October the 31st, and it was known as sowing. This day marked the end of the season of the sun, summer, and the beginning of the season of darkness and cold, winter. In days of yore there were only ten months, but this changed with the introduction of the Gregorian calendar in October 1582. The word Halloween comes from All Hallow Even, the even being the night before All Hallows' Day. Therefore, Halloween is the eve before All Saints' Day, and on this day it became customary to pray for the dead. Yesterday was All Saints' Day, and today is All Souls' Day, and on this day, Many churches have services remembering those who have died, not just the great and the good, but the ordinary person as well. There is a tradition associated with All Souls Day in that a pilgrim who was returning from the Holy Land took refuge on a rocky island in a storm. On the island, the pilgrim met a hermit who told him that there was an opening on the cliffs through which the flames from the infernal regions could be seen and the groans of the tormented could be heard. The pilgrim arrived home, went and told his bishop, bishop, who appointed the day of 2nd of November as All Souls Day. Halloween is a pagan festival, and because of that, many churches celebrate the evening with a light festival, aimed mainly at young people. The festival is a reminder that Jesus came into the world to be our individual saviour and that he is the light of the world. However, paganism and Christianity are so interwoven, not just at this time of the year, but at other times too. And it is good to be reminded of the differences. May we never forget that we have been set free by Christ's love through his death and glorious resurrection. And may his love and light be with you and those
0: you love this day and always. Thank you very much indeed, David. Um, And thanks for those words about Liverpool as well. It's a long, long time since I've been there. But uh, hearing your words makes me want to get on the next train. So thank you. You're very welcome. Well, after David's piece, it's now time for the regular editor's pick. Every Thursday, my wife and I go for a long walk with Max. Max is a fell terrier. He's very friendly, unless you happen to be a van or a bus. Max hates vans and buses, especially the village bus, and will jump up on his hind legs, dance what appears to be a one-dog tango, and bark his head off. But it may surprise you to learn that we don't actually have a dog, and Max is not ours. He belongs to an elderly couple in the village, and we walk him because we volunteer with the Cinnamon Trust. The Cinnamon Trust is the only specialist national charity which aims to relieve the worries and problems faced by elderly and ill people and, of course, by their beloved pets. We all know that pets, particularly cats and dogs, can positively benefit the well-being of their owners, especially for many older people who might be living on their own. Pets are constant companions. They're around 24 hours a day, every day. They're very loyal, they boost morale and help to reduce stress. But all the benefits that pets can bring can be completely changed and neutralized by the anxiety and worry felt by owners if they are terminally ill, temporarily incapacitated through an operation, or have to move into residential accommodation. Dogs, which need regular exercise, of course, are a special worry. The Cinnamon Trust, whose patrons are Dame Virginia McKenna and Sir Paul McCartney, offer completely free support for pets whose owners can no longer look after them, either temporarily because they are in hospital or recovering from an illness, or have passed away, in which case the animals can be rehomed. In the case of Max, his owner has had a succession of leg operations and for almost a year now has been unable to take this feisty fell terrier for more than a very, very short walk. We pop in regularly to take him on long walks around the Oxfordshire countryside, and both Max and ourselves are panting and ready for our baskets by the time we come home. We've walked a number of dogs in our years volunteering with the Trust. Some have been a bit of a bouncy handful, like Max. Others have been very lazy, I remember one particular dog, a French breed, that was exhausted after walking a few hundred yards. In fact, she didn't really walk. She tottered a while, stopped and sniffed every few feet, and then made it very clear it was time to go home. The Cinnamon Trust puts out a quarterly newsletter which has lots of heartwarming stories from volunteers and owners. Here's one from owner, Catherine Beaumont from Wiltshire. She writes... Since my stroke in October, I am no longer able to go for proper walks with my four-year-old Jack Russell Dachshund Cross, called Percy. He had got used to three outings a day, and the change in our lifestyle took its toll. I felt very badly for Percy, and even considered having to find a new home for him, even though it would have broken my heart. Not only has Percy been with me since he was a pup, we are very close companions, Although I had heard of the Cinnamon Trust and the wonderful work they do, it was a friend who suggested I get in touch about them helping us out. I felt it was a tall order as Percy needed daily walks. However, we were in luck. The Trust managed to find three volunteers who were able to cover the whole week. Claire, Alex and Nigel are lovely people and they clearly enjoy taking Percy for his walks. He's used to the routine now, and patiently waits at the designated time, eagerly looking out for their arrival. I can't thank his walkers enough, and I'm so grateful to this wonderful charity for the lifeline extended to us in our desperate situation. Our story could have had a very different outcome. As it is, we've not only been helped, but given a chance to get our life back and onto a positive track. If you'd like to know more about the Cinnamon Trust or know somebody who might benefit from the totally free help they provide go to www.cinnamon.org.uk or telephone 01736 757900 And now it's time for part two, and we begin with news of the following deaths, which were reported in the Whitney Gazette this week. We're saddened to announce the following names and dates. On September the 23rd, Dickie Morley. On October the 8th, Stephen Neil Foster. On October the 20th, Terry Keeble. On October the 23rd, Mary Kathleen Thomas. On October the 27th, Pamela Mary Clack. On October the 22nd, Pamela June Brind. On October the 31st, Leon Christopher Grimwood. And on October the 25th, Evelyn Betty Spurrett. And the following names were listed with no date given in the Gazette this week. Alan Bushnell, Roy Wixon and Richard Devereux Mattingly. Our condolences to their friends and families. Let's now move on and go to our regular quiz and the answers from the last edition on the 26th of October. Good luck to you and to our readers in answering these. Number one. What is the first name of Professor Adrian Pocock, an astronomer who frequently speaks engagingly about space, on radio and on television? It starts with M. It's Maggie, actually. Maggie, Maggie. Maggie. yep. Yeah. Number two. Which singer, born in Cardiff, said, I don't sing rock, rock singers sing about girls, I sing about women? Cardiff, Tom might It's not Tom Jones, another Cardiff singer.
4: Shirley Bassey? Shirley Bassey. <laughs> it's Shirley Bassey. Of course. Yeah.
0: Number three. In which year did Nicola Adams... Win a gold Olympic medal for boxing? 2012? 2016. 16. So I think you deserve a point for that, actually, because <laughs> that's, uh, that's not far off at all. Number four. What word is missing from the title of this book written by Bernadine Evaristo? Girl, Other. It's woman. Mm -hmm. Girl, woman, other. Mm -hmm. They're difficult this week, or last week. They'll be easier this week, I can assure you. And number five, in which war was Mary Seacole, born 1805 in Jamaica and died 1881 in London, in which war was she a nurse?
1: Crimean. Crimean? Mm -hmm.
0: The Crimean. It was the Crimean War. And now let's go on to this week's quiz, which... As we've been talking about, the Cinnamon Trust is all about dogs. Question number one. What was the name of the first dog in space? Number two, what breed of dog featured in the Vitality, Health and Life Insurance Company Advertisements and has since become wildly popular in Britain. Number three Which Ukrainian immigrant was instrumental in the successful development of guide dog training in the UK and was given an MBE for his work in 1953? Number four, which human treat should never be given to dogs? And number five, which dogs were originally bred for rescue work and famously carried a keg of brandy attached to their collars. Well, good luck with those, and the answers as usual next week. So, back to our news. The 11th of November, of course, marks Remembrance Day. And here are Jean and Nigel to read you two items about Poppy Day here in Oxfordshire.
1: Poppy Appeal launched at Palace... This year's Oxfordshire Poppy Appeal was launched at a striking event to honour and raise funds for veterans, current serving personnel and their families. Blenheim Palace hosted the Lord Lieutenant for Oxfordshire, Mrs Marjorie Glasgow, BEM, on Friday, October 27th, who represented His Majesty the King when she reviewed the parade. For the first time in over a hundred years, during a ceremony of this nature, the Lord Lieutenant attended on horseback. And there's a picture of a smiling um, Lord, Lord Lieutenant on her horse. Royal British Legion County Chairman Peter Eldridge said, The Poppy Appeal is an important event in Oxfordshire, which so many people have been involved in the planning of. Thank you to the Duke and Duchess of Marlborough for allowing the event to take place in the beautiful setting that is Blenheim Palace and to the estate's manager, events manager, and all the Blenheim Palace staff who always support us. This year's event featured the Chino War Horses dressed as first world war cavalry troops which set off with their first Oxfordshire County poppy of the 2023 appeal from the direction of the Column of Victory at Blenheim Palace. The presentation poppy was handed over to the Oxfordshire Home Guard, who marched to present it to the Lord Lieutenant. This year's Remembrance poppy was given a makeover as it is now completely plastic free and easily recycled. However, the new poppies are sold alongside stock of the original poppy. Mr Eldridge added, the money raised from the Poppy Appeal can make a vital difference to people in the armed forces community. In Oxfordshire, the charity has helped the armed forces community from the area in a range of ways, from mental health support, help with recovery, advice on gaining employment, housing help and managing the cost of living. In 2022, the National Poppy Appeal achieved £47 million in donations to help our veterans, with a target set for £50 million in 2023. The Royal British Legion, RBL, is the UK's largest charity dedicated to supporting the needs of the armed forces community, past and present, and their families. The charity, which organises the Poppy Appeal every October and November, relies on more than 3,500 desic- dedicated volunteers to help deliver the appeal across the UK each year. The Royal British Legion was founded on May 15, 1921, and its poppies were made of silk at the time. They sold out straight away and raised more than £106,000 for those whose lives had been affected by the war, helping to find them jobs and somewhere to live once they were no longer serving in the army. An increasing number of people on TV and in the streets will now wear red poppies in the days leading up to the Remembrance Day on November 11th. Their significance has gradually expanded to cover those who have lost their lives on active service in all conflicts rather
2: than just the Great War. And now for a slightly different take on the Poppy Appeal. This article is headed, Remembrance is marked with plastic-free poppies. The Royal British Legion's Poppy Appeal has been launched in Oxfordshire with its uh, new plastic-free poppy. The new poppy is the first redesign of the remembrance symbol in a generation and the latest in a series of designs since the poppy was first introduced to raise funds in 1921. The Poppy Appeal calls for the public to wear a poppy and show your care every year for the armed forces community to raise funds to support veterans, serving personnel and their families all year round. Veteran and Invictus competitor... Lindsay Kelly was one of the first to wear the new poppies. She said, I love the new plastic free version, but while the poppies have changed, the meaning stays the same. The poppy means so much to me as it represents the support I received and shows the armed forces that I care and that the service and sacrifice of our armed forces community will never be forgotten. Miss Kelly joined the Royal Air Force in 2001 as a logistician under Number 1 Air Mobility Wing. Her role involved deploying aircraft around the world and completed tours of Iraq, Cyprus, Oman and Qatar. In 2006, she began to experience problems with the muscles in her legs, however, and was later diagnosed with bilateral anterior compartment syndrome, and this led to chronic pain and physical limitations, which had a profound effect on her mental health, leading to her being medically discharged from the service in 2010. Miss Kelly was surprised to see the positive impact that sport played on her recovery, and she subsequently took part in this year's Invictus Games in Dusseldorf. The Royal British Legion's poppy manufacturing HQ will be operating at full capacity to produce 170,000 poppies every day to satisfy public demand. It had worked with scientists in University College London to assess the environmental impact of the new poppy and ensure its sustainability. Analysis revealed that the new poppy would reduce carbon emissions by 40% compared with the traditional poppy. While the red poppy remains popular, some choose not to wear it as they believe it has become too political and that there is too much pressure put on individuals to do so. Director of the Royal British Legion Poppy Appeal, Andy Taylor-White, said we want to encourage as many people as possible to get a poppy this year and to show their gratitude and support to those in the armed forces whose service and sacrifice should never be forgotten. Since the first Poppy Appeal in 1921 to today, public donations have provided a lifeline for service people and their families, and last year we helped more than 27,000 people in the Armed Forces community. As a veteran myself, I am grateful to the public for giving what they can to support the Royal British Legion Poppy Appeal this year.
3: This is headed, New Coach Service is a Capital Idea for Travelling to London. Links between West Oxfordshire and London have been given a bus with the launch of an expanded Oxford Tube route. Travellers can now board a coach to the capital from Whitney's Market Square, Carterton and Ainsham. Bypassing Oxford City Centre, it stops at Thornhill, then heads on towards London. There are four departures each weekday morning. Managing Director of Stagecoach West, Rachel Gellier-Massie, said, The expansion of the service and these new stops will make the daily commute so much easier for those currently heading into Oxford to pick up the service, as they can now start their journey closer to home. It's now easier than ever to travel from Oxfordshire into London reliably, comfortably, sustainably and at a great price the new stops expand the reach of the oxford to london route which is also being improved frequency is being increased a new stop has also been introduced at high wickham where the oxford tube will run hourly on weekdays boarding at high wickham coachway before traveling to hillingdon and continuing the journey via baker street to london victoria that news service connects High Wycombe with Oxford Brooks, Headington and Oxford City Centre.
4: And now for some short items about crime in the region. And the first heading is Arrests After Stolen Vehicles Found. Two men have been arrested after police recovered a motorbike stolen <coughs> from an Oxfordshire farm. The arrest came after police executed a warrant to search a site near Evesham in Worcestershire on Thursday of last week. <clears throat> Thames Valley Police Rural Crime Task Force, Task Force recovered several vehicles working with the West Mercia Police and the National Rural Crime Unit. This included a motorbike that had been stolen from a farm near Bambury on August the 30th. And there were also two stolen caravans, two stolen trailers, a stolen cement mixer and a car to believe to be used in crime. And the second item is headed, suspicious pair arrested for alleged drug offences. Two suspected drug dealers were arrested in Whitney after they were found with drugs, money and phones. It came after they were seen leaving a vulnerable person's address in Windrush Place on Saturday afternoon. The PCSO from Whitney Police Station spotted the suspects acting suspiciously. When they saw the PCSO, the male duo ran away and jumped over nearby gardens and they were found by officers from the force's problem-solving team and incident crime and response team. Both were arrested for drug offences after drugs, money and phones were found. Police said, if you spot something suspicious, please contact the police.
1: I've got another crime item here entitled Balaclava-clad men foiled in ATM raid attempt. Three Balaclava-clad men were scared off in an attempt to steal money from a cash machine. The incident happened after two men forced their way into a building on Spareacre Lane in Ensham at around 4.20am on Thursday. That would be last week. The men then accessed the room that contains the rear of a Barclays cash ATM. After being disturbed, they fled the scene empty-handed. The offenders and another man arrived in a blue Volkswagen Golf travelling east along Spare Acre Lane before parking by the ATM and leaving five minutes later, continuing east along the road. All three men wore black clothing and balaclavas. Investigating officer Detective Constable Daniel Smith said, I'm appealing for anyone with information about this burglary to please get in touch. Also, if you have any CCTV footage in the area or any dash cam footage if you were driving in the area around the time. I'd also ask, that you check any recordings in case it has been captured, something that could assist our investigation. Anyone with information is urged to contact police by calling one zero one or on their website quoting reference number four three two three zero four eight one two three four. Alternatively people can report information completely anonymously to the independent charity Crime Stoppers by calling 0800 555
2: 111 or via its website. And now for all of you suffering withdrawal symptoms, you need wait no longer, we have this week's Clarkson story. And it's headed Farm Stars Falling Out with Clarkson. Clarkson's Farm star, Caleb Cooper, has teased fans with hints of the biggest ever falling out with his boss, Jeremy, in the upcoming third series of the hit agricultural show. The chart-topping Amazon series charmed critics with its cinematography complimenting the lovable group of staff uh, unafraid to tell 62-year-old Clarkson when he's being useless. No one did more so than 25-year-old Mr Cooper. He told the Times, No spoilers, but the series 3 shows our biggest ever falling out because that man has just got to learn to listen to me. One of my favourite things is watching Jeremy get electrocuted on his own fences. And last time it happened, I was thinking, That's my role, really. I need to be his electric fence, stopping him doing silly things. However, he went on to admit that the pair share a close relationship after years of working together. He continued I resented Jeremy slightly the first time I met him, but not because he had a farm, it was because he asked me to drive the tractor more slowly past his house, so that his cat wouldn't wouldn't run around could run around safely. I ignored that because we were so busy. And to be honest, I didn't know who he was. I didn't have time to watch TV. Sometimes the odd sports car would be delivered for a motoring review and I'd think, who's this flash git then? But then we've come become quite close now and he recently went off to Africa to film The Grand Tour. And after a couple of days, I actually missed him. He's been a father figure to me when it comes to understanding TV. I've learnt from the best there is, and I can't believe I'm saying this, when he's not making me fed up There is love there. Mr Clarkson has previously said season three could still be a while away. Writing on Instagram early this year, we actually won't finish filming until October. There's something we're trying which won't be resolved till then, so it's a while off yet. Amazon have not said what the exact relief state is in 2024 for the third series uh, of the show at this stage. Mr. Clarkson recently stated that he contemplated putting Diddley Squat Farm in Shadlington on the market after a series of disasters. He admitted spending the week contemplating selling the farm after struggling with problems such as failed crops and adverse weather conditions, making it hard to turn over a profit.
0: Good old Jeremy, where would we be without him? I think maybe we should invite him on the program. Well, Now it's time for the quick notice board. Um, There isn't much this weekend, although, of course, it's bonfire night, so on Sunday and probably right over the weekend, there will be bangs, whizzes and other loud noises all over the county. There are, however, a few weekend items which may be of interest in the run-up to next week's Remembrance Sunday. First of all, um, if you like band music, then the Waterloo Band and Bugles of the Rifles will be holding a remembrance concert. That's on um, the uh, that's on Saturday evening, Saturday the fourth, at St Mary Moreland Church in Woodstock. And if you want more information about that, it starts at seven o'clock in the evening. Please telephone 01993 810211. Carrying on with that theme, on Wednesday, the 8th of November, there will be a lunchtime talk at uh, the Museum of Oxford in St. Aldate's, Oxford, on conscientious objectors in First World War, Oxfordshire. Um, That, as you might expect, is all about the hidden lives of the conscientious objectors in Oxfordshire during the First World War. starts at 1 p.m. and costs five pounds. And if you want more information about that, by the way, please telephone 01865 252 And finally, um, at 7 p.m. on the same day, Wednesday the 8th of November, there's a talk by author Helen Fry on women in the intelligence services, which is taken from her new book and showcases the contributions of these amazing women. Uh, That's at the Soldiers of Oxfordshire Museum in Park Street, Woodstock. For more information, telephone 01993 810211. So that's it for this week. As well as listening to the USB stick you receive from us each week, there are, of course, lots of other ways for you to listen to all our editions, including the magazines. Whitney Talking News, as you will probably know now, is available online via our new and much easier to use website, wtn.org.uk, and even if you have been to our site before, it's worth revisiting as new features make it even easier to listen to this week's Whitney Talking News online. And please remember to pass on the details to anyone who might like to listen to your weekly local news programme. And at the end of our programme, there'll be an info sound item, which will give you some highlights of this week's best radio listening and audio described TV. We also have hit tips and hints on shopping to add on tonight, so please do keep listening at the very end. Remember, if you wish to get in touch with us, just leave a slip of paper in your pouch and we will phone you. But maybe instead... Next week, you'd like to come along to our AGM. Our AGM is on November the 6th. Come along in person and meet some of your favorite readers and meet other listeners. The 45th Annual General Meeting, an election of officers and committee members, will take place on Monday, 6th of November, from 7 o'clock in the evening until 9 o'clock. It'll be held in the Radford Room of the High Street Methodist Church Here in Whitney. Also, Mike Grantham, who you may well know and remember, wishes to step down as listener representative on the committee. We'd be very pleased to hear from any other visually impaired listener to take over from Mike. At the end of the evening's business, there'll be an opportunity to chat to everyone and light refreshments will be served. We do hope you'll come and join us. If you are able to come along and would like to do so, Please let Doreen Turner know by telephoning 01993 657745. That's 01993 657745. So for tonight, it's only left for me to thank the Whitney Gazette and the Oxford Mail for the content we have used. Thanks also to David Sarbatz for his thoughts today. And a big thanks to our readers tonight, Gene Thompson. Valerie Palmer, Nigel James and Peter B. Finally, thanks to our team, to our mixmaster Master Eric, who has recorded this session on our computer, and to Nigel, who will be helping me to copy all the memory sticks later on this evening. Last but not least, thanks to our volunteers, Doreen and Anne, who have been checking the pouches and memory sticks you have returned and keeping all our records in the register. So now I know everyone would like to say goodbye. So till our next edition, goodbye. Goodbye.
7: TNF soundings. Features from across the UK. Now for a look at some of this coming week's radio highlights. And there are three interesting and quite different events this week which we'll be highlighting throughout the London Jazz Festival, the Cricket World Cup and the 400th anniversary of the publication of Shakespeare's first folio. A special week indeed. Firstly though, let's start with Saturday, November 4th. And turning point, The Fall, a drama based on a mistake at a press conference in 1985 that changed history. Radio 4, 3pm. Classic FM's Pet Classics with Charlotte Hawkins, soothing music to help all calm pets during the firework season, is on at five o'clock on Classic FM. Genevieve, an adaptation of the 1953 screenplay, is on Radio 4 Extra at five, while Wagner's Parsifal, Opera on three, from the Bayreuth Festival, at six o'clock on Radio 3. Sounds of the 80s, a nostalgic playlist, is on Radio 2 at eight. Alternatively, an evening of comedy with the men from the Ministry, followed by Something to Shout About at 8.30pm and The Real Comedy Controllers, The Things That Made Us Laugh at 9, all on Radio 4 Extra. Sunday, November 5th, Remember, Remember, opening lines, an introduction to the 19th century novel The Betrothed on Radio 4 at 2.45. And then you can hear Love Stories, The Betrothed, part 1 of 2, at 3 o'clock on Radio 4. Remember, remember, yes, Classic FM's Pet Classics continues, part two, on Classic FM, at 5pm on Bonfire Night. Words and Music, part of Radio 3's season of programmes celebrating Shakespeare's first folio, a playlist inspired by the plays and sonnets, 5.30pm, Radio 3. While the Sunday feature... Shakespeare's rival, Robert Greene, is on at 6.45pm on Radio 3. Hamlet is a radical reimagining of Hamlet. Again, Radio 3, 7.30pm. While alternatively, Moira Stewart meets Jeremy Hunt. Nine o'clock, Classic FM, rounding off your weekend. On to programmes then that is serialised Monday to Friday, same time, same radio station, all week. A reminder that it is the Cricket World Cup. So there are test match specials taking place all week. On 5 Live Sports Extra. From 8.15 in the morning to 5.45pm. Galbraith and the King of Diamonds. A mystery by Robert Barr. Is on Radio 4 Extra. All week at 11am or 4pm. Book of the week is Prime Minister's Props. By David Cannadine an explanation of how an object or prop can come to define a political leader. 9.45 in the morning for that one, Radio 4. Composer of the week is Berlioz and Shakespeare. See that theme? Noon, on Radio 3, all week. Well, Shakespeare's Restless World is on at 12.15, or repeated at 5.15 on Radio 4 Extra. Battlegrounds, Culture Wars in the Countryside. Anna Jones examines cultural conflicts in the British Countryside. All week on Radio 4 at 1.45. And Book of Bedtime, The Haunter of the Dark, episodes 6 to 10, 10.45 10 p.m., Radio 4. On to Monday, November 6th, and Brain of Britain. The first semi-final, you can pit your wits against the contestants on Radio 4 at 3 o'clock. How to play behind the scenes at a rehearsal of Saint-Saëns' Organ Symphony, Radio 4 at 4pm. Paul Sinner's Perfect Pub Quiz is an audience tested on the theme of 2022, Radio 4 at 6.30pm. While rounding off Monday, The Blues Show with Keris Matthews on Radio 2 at 9. Tuesday, November 7th, and there's drama in the afternoon with Saga, an archaeologist excavating Viking horde and makes some significant discoveries about herself. 2.15 for this, on Radio 4 on Tuesday. Inside Mr Enderby, an adaptation of Anthony Burgess's comedy, is on Radio 4 Extra at 3. While Lady Killers with Lucy Worsley, the case of baby farmer Amelia Dyer, is on Radio 4 at 3.30pm. Best Medicine, Kiri Pritchard-McLean looks at various aspects of medicine, from Henry VIII's disabled courtiers to how laughter can reduce violence in prison. Radio 4, 6.30pm on Tuesday. Radio 3 in Concert is a concert of Russian works at 7.30pm on Radio 3 while The Jazz Show with Jamie Cullum is on Radio 2 at 9. Wednesday, November 8th, Being Roman with Mary Beard, Part 1, Loving an Emperor, Radio 4, 11.30 in the morning. The Shakespeare theme continues on Radio 3 with the Lunchtime Concert and Shakespeare-inspired chamber music from Brahms and Beethoven, followed by the Afternoon Concert, A celebratory of programme of music inspired by Shakespeare. All on Radio 3, either at 1 o'clock or 2 o'clock. The drama, Sticking Points, by Mark Lawson, is a political thriller. That's on Radio 4 at 2.15. Well, this is The Army, Mr Jones. The story of Irving Berlin's groundbreaking show is on Radio 4 Extra on Wednesday evening at 8.00. And the Folk Show with Mark Radcliffe is on Radio 2 at 9. Thursday, November 9th, for our own correspondent, has reports from right around the world on Radio 4 at 11am. The afternoon concert includes works by Prokofiev, Beethoven and Wagner on Radio 3 at 2. Open Country meets members of the Lake District Mountain Rescue Team, on Radio 4 at 3. While Legend, The Joni Mitchell Story, Part 2, Lady of the Canyon, is on Radio 4 at 4. It's a fair cop. Alfie Moore, who's a copper-turned-comedian, tackles the problem of dog theft on Radio 4 at 6.30 in the evening. The well, Radio 3 in Concert is a programme of 20th and 21st Central America music by Wynton Marlisset, Gershwin and Ellington with Nicola Benedetti on the violin. 7.30pm, Thursday evening, Radio 3. The Country Show with Bob Harris is at 9 o'clock on Radio 2. While the Today podcast, a continuation of conversations from the Today programme where Amal Rajan and Nick Robinson shed light on how the programme is made... Is on Radio 4 at 11pm, or it's available on BBC Sounds. Lastly, Friday, November 10th, and Mark Steele's in town. Following Mark Steele's diagnosis of throat cancer, the BBC decided to rerun the series, starting with the 2020 programme from Brighton. Radio 4 for this, 11.30 in the morning. The afternoon concert, in anticipation of Remembrance Day at the weekend, has music from Elgar. Briggs *Moving Requiem*, Radio Three, two o'clock. The Now Show is a typical look at the week's news on Radio Four at six thirty in the evening, while Add to Playlist has five more connected tracks from seven fifteen on Radio Four. Radio Three in Concert is the opening gala from this year's London Jazz Festival. The Jazz Voice evening with a stellar line-up, all from Radio 3 at 7.30. Continuing the Joni Mitchell celebration, Blue, Pain and Pleasure. Contributions from Emily Sanday and Beth Orton on Radio 4 Extra at 8. Well, from J to Z late, the opening night launch party of the London Jazz Festival has a stellar line-up on Radio 3 at the end of the day, 11pm. That's it. Thank you to Angela for the highlights this week. May I wish you a peaceful, safe and enjoyable one of radio listening.
1: TNF
8: Soundings TNF Soundings
5: Features from across the UK Now for the order described television programmes for the week starting Saturday the 4th and ending Friday the 10th of November 2023, compiled and read by John. So let's start with Saturday. It's the last episode of Nadia's Simple Spices on BBC One at 11.30 and she shares a recipe for masala mince. Bargain Hunt is from the Yorkshire Events Centre and is on BBC One at 1.15. Ainsley Harriot begins a new journey on the island of Lovetsy in his new series, Ainsley's Mediterranean Cookbook, is on ITV1 at 11.40. Do you fancy a romantic comedy film? Anna sets out to propose to her beau on the 29th of February, but is delayed along the way and is bewitched and befuddled by a local. Leap Year is on Channel 4 at 12 noon. Sirius Black is on the loose, but is he a real threat? Find out in Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, on ICV1 at 5.55 It's a busy night on Strictly Come Dancing on BBC1 at seven. Two castaways are chosen to face a moral dilemma with a twist in tonight's Survivor on BBC1 at 8.30 Are you, like me, a big fan of the Fab Four? The group are celebrated in The Beatles and the BBC on BBC2 at 8.30 Although it's not audio described you might enjoy the music 60 years ago, John F. Kennedy spent two days in Texas. The final day was in Dallas, and we all know what happened there. JFK, 24 Hours That Changed The World, is on Channel 4 at 8pm and looks at those final hours. On to Sunday the 5th, Guy Fawkes Night. Key politicians and public figures are interviewed in Sunday with Laura Koonsberg at 9 on BBC One This Morning. Bargain Hunt is from Shrewsbury on BBC One at 12.30. Have you been enjoying Ghosts on BBC One on Fridays? The team who made that made their first film in 2014, and it's on today. Bill is a comedy about the early life of William Shakespeare, and is on BBC One at 2.20. I'll be watching. David Attenborough explores some of our planet's greatest wildernesses in deserts and grasslands, Part 3 of Planet Earth 3 on BBC One at 6.15. How about a journey on the Glacier Express? You can take it and see how the train is kept running despite difficult weather conditions. The world's greatest train journeys from above is on Channel 4 at 7. Strictly Come Dancing the result is on BBC One at 7.15. It's Sculpture Week and the woodworkers have two days to create a giant insect. Handmade Britain's Best Woodworker is on Channel 4 at 8. Lear's life becomes more complicated by a blossoming new romance. Three Little Birds is on ITV1 at 8. After six months on the outside, Orla is back in Carlingford Prison, where she is prepared to risk extreme action to maintain contact with her children. Time is on BBC1 at 9. Tasha's mission to be reunited with her daughter pushes her to extremes, in the final part of The Ex-Wife on Channel 5 at 9 Now for programmes that are on at the same time same channel each weekday Dr Zanz Con or Cure at 10.45 Homes Under the Hammer at 11.15 Bargain Hunt at 12.15 Doctors at one forty-five, but not on Friday Escape to the Country at 3 The Travelling Auctioneers at 3.45 The Repair Shop at 4.30. All these programmes are on BBC One, and some are not listed as AD. I wonder if this might be a misprint, as they're normally ordered described. Mountain Vets on BBC Two at 3.15. James Martin's American Adventure on ITV at 2. Heartbeat, two programmes at 5.55 and 6.55 on ITV 3. Great British Railway Journeys on BBC Four at 7.00 and all the soaps are on their usual channels at their usual times. Looking now at Monday the 6th of November, there's a new series of Between the Covers, where Sarah Cox and her guests celebrate the joy of books. It's not audio described, but you should get a sense of their enjoyment. It's on BBC Two at 7. Sir Isaac Newton, Red Dwarf, Mary Queen of Scots, and Billy Bragg are all featured in the specialist rounds of Mastermind on BBC Two at 7.30. A salad with a crown of cheese and a Sunday roast made using one pan are on the menu in Jamie's Five Ingredient Meals on Channel 4 at 8. Warwick University and Trinity College, Cambridge vie for a place in the quarterfinals of University Challenge at 8.30 on BBC Two. Cambridgeshire Police believe a man who disappeared in 2015 has been murdered. They just haven't found his body yet. How they get on is revealed in 24 Hours in Police Custody on Channel 4 at 9. Following a chance arrest, the serial killer is finally caught. But after the trial, the devastating failures of the police investigation are soon laid bare. The final part of The Long Shadow is on ITV1 at 9. Four more chefs face the infamous skills test in MasterChef The Professionals on BBC One at 9. And now for Tuesday the 7th. It's the second heat of MasterChef The Professionals. Marcus's skills test gives them 20 minutes to prepare and cook lamb neck with baba ganoush. How they get on is revealed on BBC One at 8. It's dessert week in the tent where the bakers get to grips with a retro creme caramel before creating a show-stopping meringue bomb. The Great British Bake Off is on Channel 4 at 8. Lots of choice at 9. Detectives from South London investigate when a man's body is found in the bushes of a park in Brixton. The Met is on BBC One at 9. In 2012, Rolf Harris entertained the Queen at her Diamond Jubilee, but within months his reputation lay in tatters, when his dark past caught up with him. The second and final part of Rolf Harris hiding in plain sight is on ITV one at 9. Two more inmates arrive as the reality series set in a prison continues. Banged Up is on Channel 4 at 9. There's a look back at Australia's first conflicts when the Europeans arrived and snatched land from the First Nations peoples. The Australian Wars is on BBC4 at 5 past 9. On to Wednesday the 8th of November A heavy stone birdbath A harmonium A sailor's logbook And an ageing teddy bear Are all in need of help in the repair shop On BBC One at Eight How do you make a British passport The most secure document on the planet? Dr Hannah Fry finds out tonight in The Secret Genius of Modern Life On BBC Two at Eight Why are marine species drawn to the coasts of Australia and are thriving in the clean waters of Pearson Island off South Australia? Find out in Australia, Earth's Magical Kingdom on BBC4 at 8. After an island visit turns Lexi's life upside down, she then receives an offer from the police. Find out how she gets on in Payback on ITV1 at 9. When a body is discovered, Tosh believes it's the work of organised crime. But D.I. Ruth Kohler isn't so sure. The new series of Shetland continues on BBC One at 9. The late film on BBC One is set during the First World War and is the story of two army corporals tasked with delivering an urgent warning about an enemy ambush. 1917 is on BBC One at 10.40. Thursday the ninth. Radio 1 DJ Jordan North loves having pals over for dinner, so Mary offers some simple ideas that are sure to impress. Mary Makes It Easy is on BBC Two at 7.30. In Blackpool, a teenager has been swept out to sea. Meanwhile, in Margate, the team begin a frantic search for two paddleboarders. Saving Lives at Sea is on BBC Two at 8. It's the quarterfinals, beginning with the invention test, in which chefs prepare and cook a standout tart that will blow the competition out of the water. See how they get on in Master Chef the Professionals on BBC one at eight. There's an extra slice of Bake Off on Channel four at eight As a new series on BBC two As the country prepares for a federal election in nineteen eighty seven, how will Helen Dale and the rest of the music six team face the pressure of six hours unbroken airtime? Series 2 of the Newsreader starts on BBC2 at 9. Have you ever wondered what it's like inside the back rooms at Marks & Spencers? For the first time, cameras have been allowed inside every corner of the retail giant, from its top-secret development kitchens to the building of a new £50 million store. Inside M&S is on ITV one at 9. As another choice at 9, a look behind the scenes at a funeral director's in Nottingham. Stacy Dooley, who is terrified of the end of her life, immerses herself in the world of undertaking, and is most impressed with the care and reverence shown to the deceased by everyone. Stacy Dooley inside the undertakers is on BBC One at nine. Finally, to Friday the 10th of November. Lady Felicia ends up in hospital in the Rod of Astral Pius in the first of tonight's Father Brand stories at eight. Then in the second story, the priest believes the death of a recently returned RAF pilot to be murder. The missing man is at nine. Both these Father Brown programs are on the Drama Channel. How about a visit to the original Flowering Wilderness in the USA? That's what monty Don's American Adventure is all about, and it's on BBC Two at eight. Or maybe you are hungry and fancy a burger. The secret life of burgers is revealed on Channel Four at eight. After receiving an incredible offer, Mike and Alison have to make a big decision in the last episode of Ghosts on BBC One at 8.30. The good news is there'll be a Christmas special. We'll let you know when it's on. It's part two of the newsreader which started yesterday. There's a mass shooting in Clifton Hill, Melbourne and the team rushed to get the footage on air but their judgement is called into question. The newsreader is on BBC Two at 9.00. Also at 9, BBC4 looks at the musical career of Agnetha Fältskog, from before she was part of the supergroup ABBA through winning the Eurovision Song Contest and her marriage to Bjorn. Agnetha, ABBA and After is on BBC4 at 9. The Brown stage of fake wake for Grandad in tonight's Mrs Brown's Boys subtitled Mammy's Miracle is on BBC1 at 9.30. I hope you find something of interest this week. TNF Soundings
1: TNF
8: Soundings Features from across the UK Hello, this is Alan with an article written by Fiona titled Tips for the Visually Impaired Shopper Whether you look upon clothes shopping as a treat or a chore, if you have a visual impairment, there's no doubt that choosing a new outfit can sometimes be a challenge. Relying on the help of family and friends, online influencers, phone apps or simply FaceTiming your mum for her opinion can all help, but finding just the right thing for daily wear or for that special occasion can take time and effort. Globally, fashion designers are working to make shopping for clothes easier for people with disabilities. There are some inspiring ideas, including braille labelling giving colour, size and washing instructions, and textured buttons which can help when colour matching. For dedicated followers of fashion, in May this year Vogue magazine launched a 12-month campaign during which all issues of British Vogue will be available both in audio format and Braille. As most of us probably shop close to home, however, let's take a trip to our local high streets with some visually impaired shoppers. Meet Alan and Morvan in Argyle and Emily in London, talking about their shopping experiences. Blind Vision Oban is a support group for the visually impaired and blind community in Oban, a major town and port on the west coast of Argyle. Morvan Archbold and Alan MacDonald are members. Morvan lives on the Isle of Mull in the Inner Hebrides, and her shopping trips are a little out of the ordinary as she takes a 45-minute ferry crossing to Oban to reach High Street Stores. The way I shop is varied, she explains. If I am off-island and in the mood, I enjoy having a wander in various clothes shops, just feeling the material and style. I also do online shopping, but only for specific brands where I know what sizes will fit me perfectly. My daughters will sometimes look at the sale items on certain brands and send me links to stuff they know I will like. "'Occasionally I will travel to the city with my daughters or a good friend, "'but you have to have people who will be honest with you. "'I once used a personal shopper at a large store a few years ago "'to get an outfit for a wedding. "'She was very helpful and nice, "'but without really knowing me it was difficult for her to judge. "'Better to have family or friends.' "'Alan, a radio presenter and musician who lives in Oban, uses his sense of touch when browsing for clothes he said i always hold the item against myself and feel for distinguishing features be it an emblem on the chest stripes on the shoulders or a distinctive button i always consider if i will be able to recognize this if it was in my wardrobe non-tactile patterns and colors would need to be explained to me as i can recognize the color at home using the seeing ai app but I wouldn't typically use this in a shop. At home, I cut the labels on anything white into triangles so I can identify what is coloured and what is white when it comes to doing the laundry. Shopping for shoes, it's easier to pick up a shoe and have a good feel all around it, feeling for quality and creating a picture in my mind of the style. I would still need to be advised of colours and patterns, it's all an extra layer, so naturally takes a little bit longer than a sighted person would take, but that's just the nature of the beast. Emily Davison, a legally blind writer and journalist in London, shares some of the ways she likes to shop for clothes on her blog Fashionista. She talks about fabrics, styles and accessibility. Fashion is still by and large not accessible to visually impaired people, she said, People with sight loss would benefit from changes to things like the garment care labels and the shop tags. When I'm out, I struggle to find the correct size of clothes because I'm unable to see to read the tags. There's no easy way to tell them apart without an additional aid like an app on my phone or help from a sighted person. Emily has a guide dog, Rosie, and makes an important point. When I shop for clothes in stores, it's so important to have changing rooms that are big enough for me and my guide dog Rosie to fit in, she explained. Which is why it's so important that accessible changing rooms are always kept clear of clutter. You will find more tips from Emily on her blog, fashionista.com. That's fashion and I-E-Y-E and S-T-A, all one word. So, f-a-s-h-i-o-n-e-y-e-s-t-a dot com. If you would like to receive a braille copy of Vogue, register your interest by emailing accessiblevogue at condenast.co.uk That's accessiblevogue, all one word. Vogue, of course, is spelt v-o-g-u-e at, at sign, Conde Condenast, C O N D E N A S T. Co. UK. So, accessible Vogue at Condenast. Co. UK. In the UK, the postage and packaging is free if you are registered blind. Happy shopping! TNS
0: Soundings.